Parker, have you already uh, marked Yusei Kikuchi down as your AL Cy Young Award winner? It's hard not to. Absolutely. I'm on the bandwagon. You? Why well, don't laugh? Yeah, I'm, I'm not quite on the bandwagon yet. And I don't know why, because let's face it, if what we've seen from Yusei Kukuchi through three spring training starts, including yesterday's uh, performance against the Pittsburgh Pirates and what would turn out to be a 7-2 loss, I mean, we've, we've talked about where those innings are going to come from. We've talked about the fifth starter spot. Uh, you know, it, clearly the, the battle, in air quotes, going into spring training was between Mitch White and Yusei Kikuchi, but it was really Yusei Kikuchi against himself. Yeah. More than anything else, it was Yusei Kikuchi against himself. And at this point, I don't think it really matters what Mitch White does or when he does it. Like Yusei Kikuchi... Well, I think he had to pitch his way out of the rotation anyhow, to be honest, because with that contract, he's going to be given every chance. But, Kevin, let, let, let's let talk about what we've seen from Yusei Kikuchi so far in spring training. Um, three innings pitched. Uh, sorry, this is yesterday. He had three innings pitched, no earned runs, two strikeouts, two walks, threw 51 pitches, 30 strikes. Uh, he did hit 97 on his fastball. Now, that's... Different than pitching at 97. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. He hit 97 in the fastball. He's tinkered a bit with the slider, the point of release in the slider. He used it 18 times on Tuesday. His fastball, he got two strikeouts in the fastball, four whiffs uh, in what was a second outing against the Pirates, as we mentioned. The Jays lost 7-2 in Bradenton to the Pirates. We'll talk about Ricky Tiedemann, who uh, had a rough outing in a minute and uh, get you set for our interview with Joe Madden, which will come up in about yes. 10 minutes. But, Kev, uh, talk to me about what you've seen from, you say, Kikuchi. Talk to me about the difference between, quote-unquote, hitting 97 and, quote-unquote, pitching at 97. And, uh, and also what you, what you saw of Ricky Tiedemann, because I know one of, our, one of our listeners gave you an assignment to... Uh, to, to dig into what Ricky Tiedemann's all about. Yeah, it's like it's like last time we saw, or the first time we saw Ricky Tiedemann, and he threw 99, and he said in the postgame interview that it's nice to know that he's got it in the tank. I think that's what Yusei Kikuchi is sort of telling himself when he hits 97, that he's still got it in the tank. If he needs it in a big moment, he can rear back and let it eat, and he's still got it mechanically. And uh, look, I, I've asked questions because I'm I'm still wondering where the 98-99's at. Like I, we haven't seen it. Like uh, it's rare that he'll hit that when a year or so ago he was pitching at that. Like I I just I find it hard to believe that it just goes away and you just don't have it anymore. I just that that's very weird to me. And I'm told that we will see more of it. This is on purpose that. He is pitching more at the 92 to 94 range. Now, they would like to see it at 95 consistently with strikes. And I said, I, I was the guy that raised my hand when I heard this, and I said, well, is he good enough to, to give them what they want from the number five hole, which is, again, I'm not, we're not asking him to give you 170 innings, which I think is what the five hole needs is 170 innings, but you're wanting somewhere around that 120 inning mark, right? And, and some quality thrown in there. Is he good enough to give you that? And that gets back to, 
you know, he simplified a bunch of things mechanically. We've all talked about that. I, you don't you need me to get on here and break down, right, the fluidity of all the things. It just looks smoother. When it's coming out of the glove, right, The where the glove starts, because it doesn't start at the belt anymore, it's a little higher. It just comes out easier. It gets up to the slot quicker. He can, he can repeat that. He can get better extension, which is what you need when you don't have 98.99. And that's the reason why I'm harping on that the people that I'm asking and they get back to the usage you you mentioned a little bit of changing the grip on the on the slider uh you know the the more it breaks he's got two different ones now he can throw one for strike one which he can still strike with which is a big deal the unpredictability right when you don't throw a bazillion miles an hour which is what you used to you got to be a little unpredictable and I think that's what he's trying to do uh, and add the confidence to the mix you know, it's. I'm with you. It, it, he had to lose the job. It wasn't anybody else's. I know they came out and said there's a competition there, which is what you want. You want guys competing, especially dudes who, you know, in a team that's trying to win a championship. You want some competition there. There wasn't any. Like, like they gave him a big enough deal. They saw enough at the end of the season that they knew if they tweaked some things and got him some more confidence, you know, he's more familiar with his teammates, which seems like a big deal. It's not a big deal to me, but it seems like certain guys need that. He's more familiar with that. And they're in this corner, too, so I think all systems go there. And, you know, again, we got to remember it's Pittsburgh. You know, you start seeing him doing this against better teams, which that's that schedule. Yeah. Is he's going to face some really good teams. Can he do it against them at 92-94? That, for me, is what I'll be looking for. Yeah, uh, and, and that's why I, look, I, I don't get um, worked up about what I see in spring training. Uh at the same time, I don't get disappointed by what I see in spring training. You know, I will get worked up when I see a young guy, a prospect who impresses you. Like you talked about this worth Addison Barger, Barger could have had, or Barger, I got to figure out how to pronounce it, could have had worse springs than the one he's had so far. You like to see that. I like to see a young guy make a good impression, but I'm with you with, I'm with you with Kikuchi. Um, you know, I, Before you I, go I, on, I need, Kikuchi's like Barrios to, to me. You, you, it's the it's the lasting impression, right? Yeah. You need him to show up and look like he deserves to be in the five hole. It's like Barrios. Me and you going to be fighting this back and forth all year because that's how you are and that's how I am. I'm stubborn when it comes to you drop 130 large on a dude, he should look like a dude that makes 130 large, right? The excuses are over, but... To each his own, right? You know, you need something to talk about, and that's the conversation that me and you're going to have. It's the sort of the same thing with Yusei Kikuchi. We need to see it. Like, you need to see the step forward, and so do they. Because, again, the way we break it down about the innings pitch is a big deal. You want to be an elite team. You want to be an elite rotation. It's going to be somewhere around that 900 innings. And you need that five-hole guy to give you somewhere in that 170 range. He's not going to. But you need him to be similar or somewhat around that. And it's that impression that now it looks like that, right? Now you can see it. If he adds a couple mile, more miles an hour, what's it going to look like then? So they have something to build off of and it's confidence. And it gives fans something to look forward to every time he starts now, which is kind of cool. The Jays will take on uh, my Minnesota Twins. They're still my Minnesota Twins until they're in third place. The Jays you can will have take- them. You can have them. Jays will take on my Minnesota Twins today in Dunedin. That game will be on Sportsnet. Uh, on Sportsnet TV, it'll be streaming as well uh, on the website. George Springer will start in right field. Bo Bichette wow. will hit second at DH. Gary, I knew I was going to call him Gary Varshall. Dalton Varshall will be in center. The rest of the lineup is Chapman, Jansen, Barger, Jimenez, Capra, and Nunez. Alec Manoa scheduled to start for the Blue Jays. 
Jordan Romano, uh, also scheduled to pitch today for the Jays. And I'm looking at some of the other pitchers. Uh, Richards, Bard, Thornton, Zuleta. Zuleta is the Zuleta, guy I think for Julian me. Is Fernandez. The, you want to see what that looks yeah. like? The power that coming out. You mentioned T- Tiedemann. Let, let's let's touch on Tiedemann right. a little bit. And I and I was two know, innings, three hits, of, two strikeouts, one walk. Yeah, yeah, I think you sort of saw what and a home run to uh, like. Carlos Santana. Sorry. Yeah, it's not a home run in, in big league parks. No, it's, it's a home not. Run in, in Florida, I mean, that's a joke, right? That's It's not a home run, but you saw what it looks like when he does give it up. It's the When you see a 20-year-old who's good, he knows he's good. Is he pitching to the name on the back of the jersey, or is he throwing his stuff, locating it, adding and subtracting, being able to pitch out of the stretch, the little things like that. What I'm telling you is don't be in a hurry, fans, right? You know what you got. You know what you're going to see when it gets here. You want him to go down, and if he just pitches his game, and like I said, don't pitch to the name that's on the back, mm-hmm. right? The the McCutcheons of the world, the Santanas of the world, you got to make quality pitches. You don't overthrow, and you saw that, right? He gives up a home run. He overthrows. Uh, he overthrows to a lefty. He's nibbling to lefties. No, that's what a 20-year-old looks like at the big league level, right? This is what you want to see him do. You want to see him go through this so when he does get to the big leagues, he hits it running because now he knows, right, he gives up a hard hit ball. It's not a big deal. You're going to give them up. They're they're as good as you are. They're going to hit your mistakes. Throw ball down the middle. You don't get those back. That's what happens, and it's good to see this. And even John Snyder came out in the postgame and said, it's good to see this. It's good, and I've said this. I've been there, right? It's, it's you want to know if you go over 15, how do you get out of it? You get out of it quicker, you make more money at the big league level. So they're wanting to see this. But it's just interesting to see him, you know, overthrow after giving up a hard hit ball. Nibbling to a lefty in a big spot instead of just attacking. Ain't big. He's left-handed. Mm-hmm. You throw a bazillion. It's... It's just, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's cool to see this, but I think that's what they want to see. They want to see him go through this. It's progression. So when he gets in the big leagues, it's no big deal. He knows how to fix it. He knows because he's been there and done it before. He's been through it. So he's starting in, he's starting in double A, right? Yeah, it's, that's the word. Sounds like that. You know, again, it's. You want to you want to go slow with this stuff. Yeah. You want to you want to see these things. You want to see him graduate. I think too. They're trying to basically tell him, make us call you up, earn it. And now he's he's mm-hmm. done that already. Because mm-hmm. you see it, the stuff is off the charts. But you got to sometimes tell tell a kid without telling him, go down there and earn it. Make us call you up and I it's, I think that's a good thing for for not only him the organization uh, you know right now they got some guys you say Kikuchi seems like he's healthy and confident and they got some guys who can fill in the blanks till your top guy comes up and and can be here for a bazillion years which is what they want him to be yeah absolutely he uh again I'm with you on this you it'd be great if no what if it if a dude never ever struggled but we know that that's we know that that's not the case uh, Speaking of kind of pushing the envelope and forcing an organization to do things, Alec Manoa gets a start today. What are, what are people saying about Alec Manoa so far in spring training? And uh, and, and, and kind of what? I, I guess I'll ask you this. What would constitute a good spring training for Alec Manoa? And I'm not talking about numbers, but what would constitute a, a good spring training for Alec Manoa? Uh, so that's Besides a, health, I think that's... obviously. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I think it's mainly health, right? I know, I know. There's been some some talk about the arm speed on the changeup, but just give him a third weapon. You know, it, he's a little bit more efficient that way. If he has a third pitch to go to against a good hitter, you know, the the words out on who he is, what he does. You know, sometimes you have to make some adjustments. I think the command is a big deal for him. That's the people that I've talked to is they're really trying to hone in on command. Uh, the hit by the pitch, you know, I think he had 16 or 17 of those last year. Trying to, you know, learn how to – I don't learn is a strong word. Uh, command the inside part of the plate, moving feet without – uh, you know, without doing something bad, I think. So you're, 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 it's just the totality of, of domination when it comes to Alec Manoa. Uh, uh, and I, I do think it's more about health. You're trying to keep him because you want him to be the man. So mm-hmm. you want him to carry the load, give you 200 innings and, and, you know, help you win a championship. So I think it's a lot more about health, but it is the people that I've talked to is just refining the little things. It's the inside part of the plate with the sinker to righties. It's the arm speed on the changeup. It's refining arm slot, getting it out front on the slider, right? It's the little things that take you from great to excellent, which we all know when we hear him talk, the, how, the way he acts, the competitor, all the things that he is. You know, great to excellent is what I just mentioned, the little things. And that for me is the conversations that I've had with the people that matter that are around him say it's the little things. And they're trying to just refine those and turn him into elite. It's, it's, he's real close to that. I believe John Schneider said that we will get a better picture of the starting rotation uh, next week. Ooh. And I was, you know, where I'm going with this after talking about Alec Manoa. I mean, I haven't sat yeah. and, and, and looked at, you know, and, and gamed out his uh, his his next couple of starts or whatever. And then, frankly, it doesn't matter because you can you, know, you you can fudge those things in spring training. Sure. But is there a sense in your part that Alec Manoa gets a start in St. Louis on opening day, or do you go with Kevin Gossman? What what's Not your read for me. on that? I, I, well, you know, that's, that's a, I just got here. I, I I will, I will be asking that question before I leave. Kind of, do you you get the impression they're kind of leaning toward Alec a bit or am I reading too much into some of this stuff? That's a tremendous question. Not for me. Like you gave a guy a hundred million dollars to sort of take a little bit of the pressure. And I'll ask you who was the, if they had it to do over with who's starting game one of the playoffs last year. I mean, I've already said Gossman's my guy. Kevin Gossman. Yeah. Me too. Me too. No disrespect to Manoa. And and this, I'll tell you this, this will be the last opening. If he doesn't start opening day, this will be the last opening day Alec Manoa is not starting. That's the way I I look at it. I know you poke fun at it. It's a big deal to those guys. It's a big deal that uh, you hear Luis Castillo come out yesterday or a couple of days ago when I was listening to him talk to the MLB Network, and the first thing out of his mouth was he wants to be the opening day starter. It's a big deal. All of these guys thrive to be that. There's there's just a poke your chest out kind of mm-hmm. thing that I'm the opening day starter for a team that's trying to win a championship. And for me, this is just me. I think right now, if I were picking, it'd be Kevin Gosman. But you know, again, it gets back to that. How do you how do you work through it, keep everybody happy? And if it wasn't Kevin Gosman, would Kevin Gosman be okay being the number two guy? There's something to that, mm. and that gets back to that conversation. You have to have it, Jeff. You've been around enough male I, egos who make a lot of money to know that it matters. It does. So you have to be good at communicating, and I, I think that's a little inside thing in this spring training about who that guy will be. And 
if I were picking, it'd be Kevin Goss, but I'm, but I'm not picking. And, and I, I'm not sure you can go wrong with who it is, but I just think the way the season ended last year, uh, who was the best pitcher at the end of the season, and quite frankly, who makes more money right now, and why did you bring that guy here? And for me, that was Kevin Gosman. Yeah, I, I don't uh... – I mean, I'm not. I it, it could go either way, and I'm not entirely yeah. certain. There's as much the, the contract is as, as much of a thing as you as you think it is necessarily. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty clear. If it's me, I think I go with Kevin. I think I go with Kevin Gossman. Uh, and then, and and to me, uh, to me, the pitching the home opener has always been a bigger deal. Anyhow, if you're not if you're not pitching opening day, pitching the home opener is is kind of a kind of a bigger thing but again sometimes the the you know the rotation doesn't work out that way sometimes the schedule doesn't work out that way but uh yeah it's uh it's uh it'll be an interesting it'll be an interesting it discussion for sure and yeah, and i think the it thing will. is it'll mean it would mean a lot to both of those dudes either one of those no dudes question. it would mean a lot to start to start alec Manoa is an them. alpha male absolutely yeah uh, as we mentioned, Blue Jays baseball this afternoon on TV and streaming as well. The Jays are at home to take on the Minnesota Twins. The Jays lineup is Springer, Bichette, Farshow, Chapman, Jansen, Barger, Jimenez, Caprin, Nunez, Alec Manoa, Jordan Romano will be the uh, will be the the pitchers of note in this particular game. And again, that'll be a one of seven first pitch on Sportsnet and uh, on. The website. Well, Joe Madden's won a World Series. He's a three-time manager of the year. And uh, he now has a, a podcast. He has a podcast called The Book of Joe. And he's written a book with one of our favorites, uh, Tom Verducci. And we're very pleased to be joined on Blair and Barker by Joe Madden. Joe, it's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to our podcast We and, and our show. We trust that you're doing well. Um you know, I heard you and Doug Glanville and Jason Stark's podcast, and uh, not surprisingly, you guys talked about analytics. And I was interested in it for two reasons. First, you had a lot of success with it, and uh, as any Blue Jays fan can attest, a lot of that success came in Tampa. And second, because when I knew you were writing a book, I thought, you know, and, 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 and when the book came out, I heard... Oh, you're going to want to read this because Joe Madden dumps on analytics. But, <laughs> but, but I love the way you phrased it with Jason, right? Information is good. It's how it's been implemented that bothers you a bit, right? I don't want to spend all our time in this, but I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah, it's good stuff. But first of all, thanks, guys. I appreciate being on your show. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. They're, they're not denying that. Uh, I use it um, even prior to the Rays. I had my own version of it before it became popular with the Angels. Um, and I would go over like stat sheets and I would try to glean from that important uh, thoughts and um, numbers to give to my manager. I was the bench coach. And uh, when it came down to spray charts, I did different things with spray charts that they're doing now. And the difference was I didn't have as much accurate information. I was gleaning this from, um, you know, my keeping track of teams that we played against. But now you can, every at-bat, every pitch, whatever, every, every is, is charted, and everybody gets that on a daily basis. So conceptually, I'm into it. I want it. Um, what I'm talking about, though, is from that pers- uh, particular perspective where you, you gather some really good stuff and then how it's implemented, how it's given to the group and, and, and who's in charge of giving it to the group. And uh, that, that's what bothered me, quite frankly. I mean, it gets 
gets to the point where you get so much information. And believe me, it's 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 wonderful stuff, but it's not all pertinent. I mean, when it comes to the seventh inning, and you got decisions to make, or and of course the game's never going to run exactly how you thought it was going to run. Mm-hmm. And they always want to work from a, a large sample size, which is beautiful if you're going to invest my money. But if it's if it's a if it's a particular day in a particular month, and some guys are on top of their game and some guys stink right now, those numbers mean nothing. They mean nothing. And I, it's hard, it was hard for me to uh, have these folks understand that the, where, where the numbers are always right is on defense, where you want to set up your shortstop. Absolutely, it's always going to be right, and you always want to go by that. When it comes from a pitcher <clears throat> throwing to a hitter, stay with it. It's going to be right. Yeah, again, most of the time. But then there's all these other little factors that on a daily basis is so fluid and, and they're in a game that's so fluid. And that's where, to me, where, where you get kind of like pound it down your uh, throat, kind of. I mean, like before a game, uh, people come in your office and tell you what pitchers you can and cannot use and when to use them. My God, I mean, and then they tell you how many pitches your starting pitcher can throw and be careful the third time through. And, and all these different kind of t- concepts that um, have really been born of analytics. Mm-hmm. and primarily people that really are into it, that's all they really know. They've never been in the dugout. They've never been eye to eyeball to eyeball with the pitcher in the sixth inning after he came out of a tough inning or a good inning that he's been cruising. I mean, I, I'm rambling, but there's so many yeah. different steps and nuances to all this, and that's what people don't understand. Joe, by eliminating the shift, is there one analytic stat in your mind that's really going to be shone a light on now that these managers are going to go – two more often than not, you think, especially early in the games? Um, just because of the banning of the shift? Yeah, yeah, um, like it's easier to put that defender right in the shift, and, and now you have to go to a certain stat, I think. Well, I thought, I mean, I don't know if this is going to happen or not. I just think based on the fact that you cannot shift, I, I don't even know what it's going to come down to having two different second basemen, your offensive second baseman and your defensive second baseman. If your defensive second baseman plays and you have a right-handed starter and the other team's going to play a bunch of lefties, as an example. I don't even know to what level that's being considered right now. Um, you know, the, the other part of it would be, um, you know, you can't have your shortstop on the other side. Where do you place your second baseman? How far into the hole do you put him regardless? Um, how often uh, this hitter and then the type of pitch I'm going to throw this hitter, you almost force him to get the ball on, in the pull side towards the hole and uh, unable to really stay inside the ball enough to dribble the ball back up the middle. And again, this is a uh, good pitchers on is sharp and able to throw that cutter on his hands or not. So um, I've been wondering about that. You know, mm-hmm. what are you going to do at your second baseman? Mm-hmm. And um, how, are you gonna, how are you going to choose your second baseman? Does it become more, like I said, it, it can be an offensive position with a lefty starter. Is it a def- uh, defensive position if you have a righty starter? These are the kind of things I'm curious about. Joe, now the the expectation question about managers and how they manage spring training going in when they're on a team that is expected to go really far in a season. And I've asked John Snyder this with the Blue Jays, and he sort of laughed at me and tells tells me he's not going to tell me all of his secrets. But I knew you were coming on, and you've been on okay. some teams, you know, when you're going into spring training, that there's some expectations. Is it harder to manage a team right when there's you know, there's not a lot of jobs up for grabs? It's it's we're doing this, that, and the other. Is it is it your job tougher in spring training, or is it easier? No, I, I think it's somewhat easier. I mean, if there's a lot, a lot of decisions to be made, the big thing is to keep everybody healthy. That's everybody's objective uh, as a manager going through camp is to keep people healthy and, and get them ready simultaneously. Um, 
Uh, for me, I've had some teams that have had high, have had high expectations, and when you have that team, to me, you don't run away from expectations. You embrace them, and you talk about them, and you the word pressure, I want to run towards that word because that means something good is attached on the other end. I think when you deflect and kind of deny the fact that this is going on, that that could be more injurious as opposed to helpful. So if you have high expectations and, and, and the word pressure is being bandied about, run towards those two words. Don't ever run away from them. You know, when you were with the uh, Angels, you had the, uh, you know, you managed I mean, I don't even. I was gonna. I was gonna say two of the best players I've seen. I put Shohei Otani in kind of a different bracket completely. But um, you know, I, I was interested. I read an interview last October that that where you were talking about Shohei Otani, and of course, we've all been talking about what happens to Shohei Otani in the off season. He made a point about you thought his his free agent deal next year might might actually need to include two separate contracts, one as a pitcher and one as a hitter. And yeah, you know, when I first read that, I kind of chuckled, and then I thought. Well, okay, if I was a GM and I'm either re-signing him or signing him, that's probably how I'd approach it. I, I just, I mean, I don't, it's, it's, as far as I can tell, it's the best way to figure out the guy's value. And I, I just wanted to ask you, how realistic is it for Otani to continue to do both throughout his career? And if you had to pick one, pitching or hitting, what would, what would you rather he do? Well, how realistic is it? It's just really, it's like everything else. It's about good health. Um, he had a bet on it. I mean, there's probably a better chance that he's going to hurt his arm somehow as opposed to lose his ability to hit. Um, even if his legs falter as he gets older, he still has incredible power. And, and the thing about Shohei that I don't think every, everybody are actually evaluates enough of the brain, the instinct for the game, the instinct for life. I mean, this guy doesn't miss a thing. And so show's got all of that going on, too. But you're only going to talk about he throws 100 miles an hour. Everybody wants to talk about exit velocity, which is also known as a line drive. Everybody wants to talk about those things. But the thing that makes him different is him, uh, how he thinks, how he processes the moment, the adjustments that he can make. Uh, he's so uh, uh, inquisitive. He's always wanting to get better. That's, I would focus more in that area with show because he is. He's all of that uh, physically. Um, like you said, it's it's unique, and yeah, you have to evaluate them as two people. You can't just how do you how do you apply a price tag to something that's never happened before? Um, so in order to to ascertain his value, I think you're going to have to like separate him a little bit, and then try to figure it out both sides because he's going to be in the top ten MVP and he's going to be in the top ten Cy Young, the top five in both on an annual basis. And again, with good health. And as an old scout, I've always said that, but um, don't underestimate him, Shohei. He is different. I watch him on the mound. I watch him make adjustments. Uh, I, I see how he like, tries to evaluate what the hitter's thinking and then tries to do uh, the opposite in a sense. Uh, and then at the plate, um, if you get him this time, man, I'm telling you what, he's going to go back and think about it. Uh, he's just got a great, great mind for the game. Joe, how, how did, did players change over the course of your managerial career? Did you, did you in general, I understand you can't blanket. You, you can't make a blanket statement about everybody. But did your job in terms of managing players change fundamentally as the years went on? Um, honestly, no. I could go back to the 80s. And a lot of the stuff I did in the 80s as a minor league coordinator is the same things I did when I managed the Rays and then the Cubs and then, of course, with the Angels, too. It's all It's all rooted in the same overarching philosophy that I... I get kind of nurtured, like I said, right, 1985, 86, 87, 
I stopped being a minor league manager, became a coordinator. I was influenced by Gene Mock. Hmm. I saw Watchman, Larry Hines, some really good people. Um, so, no, I see that's, the, that's the rub. I mean, it doesn't change a whole lot, and neither do players. What has changed is the, the methods employed in regarding, um, on a daily basis, the influence of the front office over the clubhouse and the dugout. That was never that way. I mean, it was actually back then. And please, if you read the book of Joe, you're going to hear or read about, like, I can't even imagine um, anybody walking into Gene's office, Mock, <laughs> before a game and um, trying to influence uh, who he can and cannot use as a bullpen guy and, and when to use them. That would be so fun to watch his reaction. Uh, that, that I mean, to the point where GMs were afraid to come into clubhouses. I'm telling you, it's true. They just they rarely walk in there because it was the dominion of the players and the manager and the coaches and um, really a sacred ground. So now it's to the point where that's different. So the players absolutely um, uh, have kind of been empowered by all this in a sense. Um, and, uh, but nevertheless, I, I look at view of players the same. I, um, I treat them the same as I always have. I think if you communicate, communication is communication. Building relationships is building relationships. I don't think there's like any new way to do it. And I don't think there's like, you could talk old school, new school. I just, of course they're, they're tied to social media and it's really important to them to get likes just like the rest of young society today. But, um, conversationally. If I tell you the truth, you might not like me for a week or 10 days, but if I lie to you, you're going to hate me forever. I think that always holds up. <laughs> Joe, I saw uh, Chris Bassett here who just signed with the Blue Jays. He's got seven different pitches, and I saw him pushing the button, the little pitch comm that's on his glove. You think that's too much? You think there's going to be all the rule changes and the benefits of things like that? You think that's too much for baseball? I had, when I had James Shields, Shields, you had a bunch of pitches, right? And when Shields, yeah. he could not get in, in, in sync with his catcher, <laughs> almost always it went sideways, almost always. So I had I said, James, you call your own game. You develop a set of signs with the catcher, and as you, the ball is coming back to him, he would do different things and tell the catcher what he wanted to do next. Now, not every pitcher wants that responsibility, but it worked really well for James. And I did that. I remember, I think, with Steve Ontiveros used to do that with Oakland when I was young with the Angels. And I used to try to figure him out all the time. And I think he might have won a Scion pretty close to it one year. Um, there's nothing wrong. I mean, all this is is an expeditious way of getting it done. I'm, I have no issue with that. Bassett, I'm a big fan. When he was an open man, we could not do anything against this guy. You're getting a really good pitcher, and he is a good pitcher. Um, he's, he's not going to light up the gun. He's going to get a lot of bad swings and a lot of weak contact. Uh, but I have no issues with any of that uh, because I've done it before. I just did it in a different way. Technology wasn't available, so Shields would put his like hands over his head. He would look one side or the other, left or right. He might scuff the ground. Even back in the day, Kyle Ripken used to call pitches from shortstop, and I used to try to figure him out. He'd be calling pitches to the catcher Hoyles, who then would relay it to the to the pitcher. But Cal was doing that back in the day. So a lot of this stuff has been happening, but technology now, it, it, everybody is so intrigued. I think it's just a little bit more uh, obvious transparent that we're doing these things but back in the day it was done in a lot of different ways without anybody knowing it do you like the, the uh, pitch clock in general love it it's the only it's the one rule that i i've often thought that would be the one thing to do first and then if you really thought you needed to do something else after that go ahead but i would have given that a role first because uh, i think that that happens every pitch that happens every play that happens every time 
before the ball's been played. That happens. Uh, the other stuff happens occasionally, but that happens every play, every pitch, and it does force a tempo to the game, um, and I think that's a good thing. So uh, I'm curious about that. There's going to be some glitches. Guys are going to get upset. They're going to probably make some adjustments to it. I was even thinking, like, as an example, if the game gets deeper, maybe at a second or two to the clock, in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning, something like that, uh, when relief pitchers start coming in, it gets a little bit more, you know, funky and stuff. I don't know if that would be amenable, but I like it. I think it's going to, uh, and as a catcher, which I was, or a defender, you love it. Hey, get the ball and throw it, man. Uh, you're going to keep me on my toes. I'm going to play better defense. It's going to become more interesting. So that's the one rule to me that is a linchpin to everything else. Joe, it was uh, the, the biggest time of my career is when I made the roster out of spring training for the first time. It was the coolest thing I'd ever done, standing on that line the first game of the season. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the opening day starter. And, and the Blue Jays have a couple of those guys in Manoa and Gosman. And, and you've been in a locker room before. It, yeah, yeah. Is that, is that a big deal to be an opening day starter? I always heard it was, right? Every guy wants to be the guy, especially on a contending team. I'm the horse. I'm the guy. And we talked about the manager's job in spring training. What do you do? When you have two guys that, you know, earned it and have a chance of being that, how do you go about that? Is, it, is that a big deal? It is to the guys, to the players, to the pitchers. It is a big deal. It is. Uh, quite frankly, it just is. Um, you know, there was a time there I had Kyle Hendricks and Johnny Lester with the Cubs, and that was an annual discussion once Kyle really established himself. Um, it is. And, and honestly, for me, I probably I, – I, you said Manoa and Gosman, right? Yes, he did. Big, yes, you know, he did. Older, you, yeah, yeah, you guys got – I would go with the guy with yeah, the, I did. the more time. But frankly, I, that's, I would go more time, and I would explain it to the guy with less time. Um, no more difficult than that. I, w- I would do that. Uh, when I was the manager of the All-Star game in 2009 in St. Louis, uh, Zach Greinke had a great year, but Roy Halladay was a part of that. And I, I, I had to explain to Zach that I'm starting Roy because he's had more time. And you're both great, but um, I'm, I, I still like that kind of uh, method. And I think um, we could all understand that. The veteran, the guy with a little bit more time, give them first opportunity because there's no really other way to do it um, unless somebody just demonstrates really uh, a better uh, ability or chance to win on a consistent basis, whatever. But I would just go with time, and I would explain it to the guy that came in second place. Uh, Joe, we've uh, just got you for a few more minutes here. I did want to ask you one question um, back to the Rays. Now, my friend Mr. Barker's convinced there's a secret underground city at the top where there's hundreds of dudes in khakis running around (laughs) trying to split baseball's version of the atom with an inordinate amount of success. Especially against the Blue Jays, so I'm going to ask you, give me the, give me the uh, the abbreviated version of what makes the Rays the Rays, and why did you guys have so much success against the Blue Jays? I tell you what, uh, that because if you look at the scores, I, I mean, distinctly remembered, especially in the 0-8, we had uh, we came off the All Star break, we lost seven in a row, and we played the first game after the break. I guess I think it was against Toronto at home, and it was Roy was pitching, and I think Zobris hit a home run late that we won two to one or three to two. Every game was like that. Every game was like that. Um, I thought it was a lot of one run games, a lot of late wins, and uh, with that particular group, there was two things: defense 
I mean, of course, our pitching, but defense and speed. I mean, that team, that, those race teams had some speed, man. We put a lot of pressure on defensively. I know Butter, uh, Brian Butterfield was the third base coach, and he started the defense then. And Butter would like always come, he used to stress whenever he played the Rays because we do things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we would, we were not afraid to try and do things. Where right now in today's world, I mean, everybody is afraid to do things because if it goes awry, then you have to answer to how you made an, an out on the bases where it's never calculated uh, how you cause the other team to split their concentration and prepare differently because you do things. And that's what Butter related to me back in the from back in the day with Toronto, that you guys had to really think it through. So there's definitely an impact on the team, your team, going into the game, always wondering or preparing for something that we might do that we may never do. So I think the secret sauce may have been, um, of course, the good, great pitching. But you guys had good pitching, too, mm-hmm. really good pitching. Um, and you had some pop. You always had some pop. But I think our speed and how we used it and our defense was stellar, man. It was still. Once we got JB, Jason Bartlett at shortstop, and of course Longo showed up. We had BJ Stuckham in center field, Carl uh, and Pena. I mean, this is a really good defensive ball club. And that's uh, it's talked about, but I don't think it's talked about nearly strongly enough. So all these little things conspired to help us win those one run games against Toronto. The book is called The Book of Joe, Trying Not to Suck at Baseball and Life. It is by Joe Madden and uh, Tom Verducci. Joe, thanks so much for taking time out to uh, talk to us today. You've been, you've been really uh, gracious with your time. We appreciate it. And best of luck with the book. And, and, and best, of luck with, uh, well, best of luck with what the future holds for you. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. I'm playing in the Valspar, uh, Valspar uh, Pro-Am this weekend. I'm a celebrity, one of the celebrities. That'll be fun. There you go. Take care, Joe. You guys be well. Thank okay. you. Okay. It's Joe Madden, uh, three-time manager of the year. He's got a couple of World Series rings, one with the uh, Angels as bench coach and the other, of course, with the uh, 2016 Chicago Cubs. And um, it'll be a terrific read. And, uh, Kevin, we're going to come back and uh, break that down a little bit. We've also got calls for you. We've got an assignment. You did very well on your Ricky Tiedemann assignment. Uh, we'll get another assignment for you today. 416-413-3959. The back leg, Barker's back leg line, I guess we're going to call it. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. One oh seven will be the first pitch today, the Jays and the Minnesota Twins on Sportsnet TV and uh, streaming. The World Baseball Classic is underway. Panama beat Taipei twelve five. And um the Netherlands beat Cuba four two. And the Netherlands uh, a lot of players from Aruba on that particular team. So the Canadian team is currently training in Arizona. Saw that Ernie Witt dropped the ceremonial, uh, did the ceremonial face-off at the uh, Coyotes game. And uh, they're continuing preparations for their game against Great Britain. Shai Davidi of Sportsnet is uh, in Arizona, in Mesa, I guess, where the Canadian team in particular is training. And you can follow his reports on sportsnet.ca. And uh, we will be... uh, Probably getting a few few of the Canadian players on this show 
over the next few days or so. It is that time, 416-413-3959. I'm just going to call it Barker's Back Leg Line. People seem to like that. I'm okay with it. And uh, it's a chance for you to leave comments, questions, or in particular, because Kevin's down there in Florida while we're all up here freezing our ass off, uh, in, in particular, give Kevin an assignment. You know, it's your chance to be a scouting director. It's your chance to say to Kevin Barker, there's one thing I want you to see. There's one thing I want you to go and dig deep on and get an answer for me. If you call that number, 416-413-3959, leave us a voice note. If we like it, see, it's, it, we don't even have to like you. It's if we like it, we'll put it on the air. <laughs> if, you, you. if you call up, this is what you'll hear. Hey, this is Kevin Barker from the Fan 590's Blair and Barker Show. If you have any questions, comments, or complaints about Jeff, feel free to leave it after the beep. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to get it down and get it singing. All right, there we go. Mr. Boffo, Mark Boffo, our exceptional producer. The man who is in charge of this. I don't hear these. Neither does Barker. You're hearing it the same time we are. Mr. Boffo, let's uh, see what Vox Populi has to say. Hey, Kevin. This is Rick Bell from Arthur. I was wondering what do you think the uh, shift impact of the shift will have on all major league second basemen and shortstops. I've noticed over the last few years they haven't had to uh, move as far to get a ball. Will the quicker, stronger, throwing, more athletic players uh, rise to the top um, just because they'll have to travel uh, more to get balls. Thanks. There you go, Kev. Yeah, it's a really good question. Well, look, I, I still think that they're going to, you know, they're going to have enough khakis and enough uh, smart people that are going to put people in positions that says seven times out of 10, the ball is going to be hit right here. Stand close to right here. You know, it's the ball up the middle a little bit. It's the it's the putting the second baseman in right field where you're hitting the the 17 hopper to the to the guy standing right in front of the right fielder. I think that's that's uh sort of where you're going to see the biggest change, but look, yeah, I, I think it's going to be intriguing just to see how, you know, it especially early in games, I think. Again, it gets back to the the pitcher normally st- struggles a little bit early in games. And I saw it a couple of times, I think, in, in Chris Bassett's start earlier where the 17 hopper from the lefty, that's normally an out, that, you know, he doesn't wouldn't have to struggle as much trying to get through it, and now he does. So, yeah, defensively, absolutely. You're going to have to the, – the first move's a big deal. Uh, you're you're going to have to you know do your homework on where guys are hitting certain pitches early in counts, but you know this this puts that much more pressure on front offices to try and figure out a little bit earlier. I think. Yeah, it it's and it was interesting hearing Joe Madden uh, talk a little earlier about the one position that I'm I'm really kind of interested in is second base, Kevin, because. Shortstop is such. You know, shortstop's a glamour position in the game right now. That's where all the money is, right? Shortstop's a glamour position, but second base. Now there may be a chance now for that. We used to talk about a guy, good glove, not so good bat. There may be a chance for that guy now at second base. 
Yeah, maybe. Look, look, it's you know, for me anyway, I think the big leagues is more about offensive first player. Sure. And and then when you play good defense, that makes you elite. Uh, there's a handful of those. You can count them on one hand. And that's why the shift made it easier for front offices to put that offensive first player, the you know, the guy that didn't have the greatest first move, the the guy that didn't have the best of backhands, mm-hmm. the guy that didn't have the strongest of arms. You could move him around. You could flip the shortstop in right field if you wanted to do that just because of his back kept him on the field. Yeah. Now – you know that defensive player matters a little bit more. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting conversation, and this just gets back to you know when you're making up your pitching staff, swing and miss matters more for me anyway than it ever has. And the more you don't let that guy put the ball in play, it takes away you know of you having that weaker defender either at shortstop or second base and. You know, it's a collection of a bunch of things, and I and I do think good teams will figure it out. But it is a thing, and I think that's why you eliminate the shift. You know, it just it 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 puts that emphasis on that more athletic second and shortstop position, and makes it matter a little bit more now. Caller number two. Hey guys, how you doing? Uh, my name is Steve Strom, calling from North Bay. Absolutely love your show. Um, my, I'm looking a little bit farther ahead. Um, I, I agree probably that uh, Tiedermann won't make the team this year, um, but I am looking towards the midseason. What are they doing? Is there a plan in place for Ryu? Uh, what can we expect, and where's he at with his development? And Just a little bit more looking in that direction. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Kevin, the two arms that I think people will be interested in joining the team midway through the season, Hyunjin Ryu, he's saying he could possibly rejoin the team midseason, and that could help fill up some of those innings and Chad Green as well. Yeah, again, this gets back to predictability, right? You you want it throughout your team when when you're on a contending team and then you want to sprinkle in some no-brainers when it comes to your prospects getting called up like Tiedemann. when he figured out figures out how to work himself out of trouble quicker, he's a no-brainer. But right now you got some predictability and you mentioned it you when you fill your team full of guys who have been there and done it before, mm-hmm. I can't teach you experience. And that's what they need now. They have depth when it comes to guys coming off the IL, guys getting called up who have been there and done it before that they haven't had in the past. So it eliminates the guy who, quite frankly, shouldn't be in the big leagues trying to help your team win baseball games. Looking back at what Joe Madden said, pretty insightful interview. Um, Absolutely. Loved what he said about those Jays teams, those Jays and Rays teams, how he always thought that, the race speed and their defense was the thing that, that tilted, tilted things in their favor. Um, that was back in your day when you played. The Rays were known as a good defensive team, were they not? Like they, we, we always talk about the pitching, 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 and they're pesky and yada, yada. But it seems to me that sometimes we overlook the fact that they were really good defensively. They had, def- they had studs defensively at almost every position. Yeah, they they that and the fastball changeup combination they mm-hmm. sort of invented that the adding and subtracting the tunneling and then you add the the advanced analytic part of it when it comes to where you're putting your defenders and Joe talked about that they were very good at matching up the hitter to where they're standing their defender and they were elite they were ahead of their time when it come to that I look I got to be honest with you when I played against them I never really noticed where the defense was I did notice how good they were when it come to the pitching and they basically had every kind of different arm angle 
and thing to combat what you had offensively, which is why they were a very tough team to play and a very tough team to win. And this sort of just, you know, whether you, you love Joe or you hate Joe, He's one of the reasons why, you know, the the shift and, and the analytics part of it. And I know how he talked about the analytics when he's in Anaheim. You know, it's it's how you use it, when you use it, and how much you use it. And that's what makes the did, best teams the elite teams. Did it surprise you that he was so – he wasn't anti-analytics. But he was – he seemed to be saying there needs to be a balance, right? You can script the game. But you know what? You can't script your starting pitcher just – feeling crappy that day or the reliable guy out of the bullpen coming out and just not having it that day. And, and I've often wondered about that to me, analytics, it makes sense at the start of the game maybe, but once a game goes on, isn't it more about reading bats and, and just kind of almost thinking more of the human aspect of the game as it goes on? Cause guys get hurt. Guys get slower. Guys get tired. Guys feel crappy. Wind changes, all of that stuff. Yeah, well, again, I, you know, I, I think it's it's you, you need no brainers. You, you're as a manager, you're only as good as your players. And I'll continue to say that, and it gets back to that. You you have to think. It's like the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays just on talent wise are an 88 win team. Can John Snyder, Pete Walker win another five or six games to get them in the playoffs and get them to be one of those elite teams? That's where your manager shows up, like you mentioned, making that move, knowing inside stuff, what's between the ears, how guys are not feeling the best against certain guys you don't play them one day you play another guy you got a gut feeling and well, organizations allow them to do it and the organizations that it's a collection of all those things those are the teams that go where they ultimately want to go and and it sounds like the john snyder with the blue jays in the front office so sort of you take care of yours i'll take care of mine we'll meet in the middle we'll be the best team in baseball all right so uh today your assignments to maybe find out a little more about hyunjin ryu see if we can get some sort of schedule i'll for get him. right on it I, I bet you will, Mr. Barker. Thank you for doing this. We'll be back tomorrow, 11 to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590, The Fan and Sportsnet 360. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe if you're listening to us via podcast. Have yourself a great day.